This is Tom Harvey, the Economy Guy. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics and how it affects you. I am looking at the world's economics, trying to interpret them, and more importantly, wondering where they are going and what they are going to do to us in particular. So this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them, and occasionally my opinions. I want this to be an educational show for you, so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy it, and welcome. It is Sunday, March 28th, and this is the Economy Guy coming your way. Actually, it's not. It's actually the uh, Saturday the 27th, and the reason for that is uh, recently I had uh, this uh, thing stuck up my nose to find, make, prove that I don't have the virus, and I can uh, honestly say I got a negative test back, so did Christine. That's all good news, and uh, Sunday, tomorrow, uh, we will be flying high, going to the States, and uh, hopefully to open restaurants. Uh, as long as nothing happens between now and then, which is not a foreseen thing right now. But I can tell you, it's a lot of fun here. It is probably the most beautiful day we've had in the last six months is today outside. It's, uh, you don't need a jacket to walk around. It's crisp. It's cloudless. It's uh, beautiful. The, everybody is out walking around, even though this is a lockdown, an official lockdown. The French are clearly ignoring the lockdown, at least here in this town. And, uh, and the mayor is helping that because he's easing up on the stores, which are supposed to be closed. He's allowing them to put, uh, like, uh, if you sell clothes, clothing racks outside on the sidewalk so people can still buy from you, et cetera, et cetera. So it's uh, an interesting place. It's an interesting culture, and I love it all. I do indeed. I will miss uh, Les Croissants, and I will miss uh, an espresso to go with that. I will miss a lot of things here. So I've got five sections for you today. Very quickly, the first one's going to be tidbits. A lot of interesting stuff going on in the world, little tidbits here and there. Second, I'm going to very quickly go over the markets, what happened last week. Third, I'm going to tell you uh, how to pick stocks from a fundamentals viewpoint. Uh, if you enjoy doing a lot of work yourself. And fourth, uh, Debt supercycle. Uh, I'm going to talk about what is going on with our debt and what does it mean and what does the future hold because of that debt. A lot of people talking about that. The fifth section and last is naturally the uh, six predictors of the uh, coming market crash. And we will review all of those. Stay tuned. On to section number one now. So let's have the tidbits now, our first section. I've got about five tidbits for you. The first one is kind of an interesting one. It's just numbers. Uh, you know that the Congress passed a and the, and the president signed a bill for $1.9 trillion, which is uh, sending money to all of you out there, and uh, hopefully you'll spend it wisely. And right behind it, uh, the Congress is thinking about an additional $3 trillion uh, infrastructure bill. They call it infrastructure. Actually, I think it'll be something else, but it's a new bill. Together, 1.9 plus 3 equals $4.9 trillion. That's a lot of bucks. Now, here's the interesting part. If you take the total cost of World War II, when we 
built ships and airplanes and tanks and lots of guns and things and add it up and bring the cost forward into today's dollars, guess what that is? Compared to $4.9 trillion, it's $4 trillion. Think of that. World War II costs less than the current administration wants to do in just a few months. Oh, that's very scary from my perspective. But a fact, put that little tidbit in, in your pipe and smoke it, please. Let's review U.S. home prices. That's kind of fun. I'm going to compare February 2020 prices to February 2021, a year's from in the month, end of the month of February. And I'm going to do it by region of the United States. The Northeast, if you have a house there, the median price went up 20.5%, 20.5%. That's really nice. If you live in the Midwest, the price went up 14.2%. If you live in the South, you have the worst of all worlds. Yours only went up 13.6%, which is still a nice, a nice thing to happen. But the winner of everything is the West Coast. It went up median 20.6%. So if you're uh, the lucky winner, good for you. That's really good. It's a good, good thing to have. Now, uh, la uh, last month, the sales went down 6%. A decline because there's really limited it there's not limited inventory there's very few houses for sale out there and so be it the uh, interest rates are going up mortgage rates so i expect a slowdown eventually but right now the market's hot 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 still hot i'll keep reporting on uh, those of you who love that one more housing story this is called the military is starting a new program in the united states and the the idea is to the military is going to help soldiers when they are stationed from one place to another to be able to buy a house. And it, the program is called the Military Urban Development Initiative, or MUD. That sounds good for the Army. It's a MUD program. And it's going to, like, say there's an infill lot between two homes. It'll help you buy the lot, build the house. They have 20,000 plans for houses you can choose from. They'll recommend some based on the setbacks, etc., of the lot structure. There's a lot of help that goes with it and some really good financing. Uh, interesting. I mean, that, that's extremely positive in my viewpoint because the real problem with the housing market today is lack of inventory. So building new houses is the solution to that problem. Uh, incentivizing people to buy houses is not. So demand is up, but supply is down. We need to raise the supply. Okay. Uh, let's see. What well, I have a couple of more good one more housing story coming up. Harry Dent, I talk about him occasionally. He's uh, come up, he says that there are absurdly high prices in Miami condos right now, and that that's a sign of a bust coming in housing prices. He said the last time that happened around 2006, before that, everybody in the world was buying a condo in Miami. They were going, popping up everywhere. And after that, you couldn't sell them fast enough and the prices went to zero or very close to zero. And so what's happening is a new condo is breaking ground and they're selling out right now. It's uh, exciting. This will be the tallest building outside of Manhattan in New York. Uh, it'll be 100 stories high. And if you want to buy a condo in it, it'll be a condo and a hotel. So various levels for different things. But if you want just a simple studio, simple studio, it'll cost you $670,000. If you want a one-bedroom apartment, it'll cost you a million bucks. And if you want a three-bedroom apartment and they're on the top floors, they cost $4.1 million. So get in line 
and start writing your checks. There you go. Now, the last story is a fun story. There is a ship stuck in the Suez Canal. It is uh, the company that uh, is ship it is, it's called Evergreen. It is a container uh, ship, you know, one of these things that they pile mountains of containers onto. It is uh, one of the big monster container ships in the world. They were coming through the Suez Canal and, uh, and uh, coming off of uh, the beautiful desert there. There was a big wind and they lost control of the ship. And the ship is longer than it is than the Suez Canal is wide. So the front of the ship hit one side and the back of the ship hit the other and it has totally stopped all traffic on the Suez Canal. Not good. There are well over 100 ships waiting to go through the Suez Canal. Some of them will decide if they're coming from the south to head south. They'll go around the bottom of Africa and come up. That'll take them an extra week. But uh, they, there's no help in sight. Uh, uh, this Sunday, we're supposed to have a high tide in the Suez Canal. I wasn't aware of this. Suez Canal was titled, but I guess it is, and that's cool. And they're supposed to do that. They're kind of concerned about this. If they try to pull it off, it might topple over, and that would permanently close the Suez Canal. That wouldn't be good to have a bunch of containers laying in the bottom of the Suez Canal. So uh, I would say they've got a problem on their hand, and they need a Red Adair to get in there and solve the problem. So if any of you need a new challenge, there you go. Get on a plane. Go to Egypt. Okay, that's it for the first section. On to the second section. Section two is a review of the markets. Let's go through these pretty quickly. The Dow 30 went up 400 points, ended at 33,072. So that's near record territory. That's where stock markets indicative of what stocks are doing. The 10-year treasury bond fell about uh, a little bit. It's 1.66%. We'll talk about that in the uh, last section. Uh, oil dropped a dollar to $61. It was actually in the high 50s for a while during the week. It ended at 61. The U.S. dollar continued to slightly strengthen. Again, this is counterintuitive to me personally. It's uh, For the last uh, three weeks, four weeks, it's been going uh, strengthening. I said initially that was due to the uh, increasing treasury bond, uh, but it, it is uh, in the six months uh, we have been in France, because we look at the euro and spend euros here over, over here, the dollar is stronger today than it was any time during that six-month period. Gold, uh, gold fell 10 bucks, and uh, the way I view that is gold right now, I believe, is uh, establishing a very firm bottom of its low trading range, and uh, it will continue doing that until it's tired of doing that. That's it for this section. On to section three. And on to the third section, how to pick stocks. And I'm going to talk about fundamentals here. As if uh, Warren Buffett were sitting at your dining room table telling you what he would do if he were you to buy a few stocks. First, I think he would say, you need to evaluate the long-term cash flow of the company. And long-term, I mean about 10 years. Is it stable? Is it a good projection? Are things, does it really create cash? Cash is king. Cash is what's all important. There are a lot of companies out there that are doing great in the stock price and aren't producing a dime. Uh, don't buy those unless you like, you know, you can if you want to. You know, and you may make money doing it too. Second, 
evaluate uh, the dividends. Are they steady and rising? In other words, they don't jump all around. They're kind of steady. Nice thing. That's a nice pattern to have. It shows a more stable company. Um, here's a hard one to actually get your arms around. Determine whether there's a good, solid management team in place. Now, how do you assess that? Well, how long have they been there? You know, are their results good, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it a brand new team? Has it just been sold? Whatever, you know. Uh, you can get some idea of that. Look uh, for the future of that company. Does its products that it make, is, is there a market in the future for that? Or is it fading away? Or do they make buggy whips? You know, that's, that's pretty easy to consider that one. Um, how is their bond a position? It's okay to have debt but not too much. You want to make sure that the earnings that they're, they uh, generate, uh, only small, very small percentage actually is enough to pay off the bond interest each year. So is that it? That's a solid bond position. Um, and uh, you should be looking at these stocks as a long-term hold. That's kind of why you're doing all this work. If you're Warren Buffett, you may consider buying the entire company. And there's one more test if you do that, and that is is the price you're going to pay for the company less than the market price? The market price is determined by the number of shares outstanding times the price per share. And uh, that would be the market price. So, But if you want to pay, you would naturally want to pay less than that. Everything Warren Buffett buys is less than the market price. And that's good. He's a pretty good guy. He hasn't bought a company in a long time. Why? Because share prices are very high. But share prices go up and down. When they go down, he probably has $100 billion sitting there waiting to snap up some good companies that meet all the previous criteria that I gave you. So those are, the, that's a, those are fundamentals when you're looking at, at a company. That's it for this section. Onward to the debt. And now the fourth section, the debt. We are in what's called a debt Super cycle. That's a neat thing. Is that a bicycle? No, it's a super cycle. And it comes along every so often. Guess when the last debt super cycle was? It was in the mid 1930s. If you remember that, that was called the Great Depression. Uh, and it's happening now. There are, that's a long, the longest term cycle in economic cycles. There's a bunch of shorter term cycles that happen also. Now, the Fed, what's going on with our debt, because the debt's creating these debt super cycles. The Fed, it holds the strong hand right now. I've always said that, don't bet against the Fed. And I'm going to use a poker analogy here. So they're holding a strong hand. Now the Fed hopes that the market's going to fold their hand, uh, even though inflation is going up and the 10-year Treasury interest rate is going up. The reason the 10-year interest, uh, interest rate is going up is that bond vigilantes, that's a group of people that want to get paid more fairly for their interest paid on bonds, are demanding more interest. And in so the interest rate actually is coming up. That's a little outside of the control right now of the Fed. So there's a poker game being played right now. Now, the market people understand that the Fed has a strong hand, definitely. But they don't know if the Fed's going to change their policy. They may... Fed may fold. The Fed may draw a card when they don't need to. I don't know. They may not raise when they should. Who knows? There's a lot of ifs here. Oh. See, the Fed uh, said they're not going to raise interest rates. 
I mentioned this last week, until inflation averages 2% and unemployment hits 3.5%. Now let's just talk about that for a second. Unemployment at 3.5%. That's only happened twice in the last 60 years. Only twice. First is in the 70s during the Vietnam War. There was a, or a bunch of young men that went and fought in Vietnam and unemployment went way down because there were not that many people to work. And, uh, and the time before that was uh, the beginning of last year, 2020, under the Trump administration. It was the only other time in the last 60 years that we've hit two and a half. So it, actually, it's uh, if you look at the Fed's desire for raising rates of being inflation at 2% on average and unemployment 3.5%, those things are irrational. That's the correct term. They are crazy. That's like negative interest rates are crazy. They're crazy. That's not going to happen. So, therefore, right today, the Fed is kind of off the rails. They're going down the track, but the track went somewhere else. And they're on a collision course with history because something is going to happen in the future. That's a fact. Now, there's... Uh, Let's look at the U.S. credit market debt and then do an analogy here of a friend who has a good job and a rising salary and some debt. And his salary gets increased, and, uh, but they don't, his salary doesn't keep pace with his increased debt and his need to pay it off. So he's falling behind slowly but surely. And note that I'm saying he and not she here. I'm not being sexist. I just think that a he is much more likely to do this than a she is. So... At some point, he uh, is uh, going to have to, when interest rates get too high, uh, he's going to have to cut back, right? And when he cuts back, the economy is going to slow down. So what I'm saying here is that analogy of a person is what our total economy is. It's going to slow down. It's coming. It's coming. The future I think, in the near term, is inflationary. The Fed wants it inflationary, it's going to be inflationary. They're money printing like crazy. Then it will become disinflationary as the economy slows down, per the last analogy. So market debt slows things down. Another little lesson for today. And that's it for Section 4. And here is the fifth and last segment for today's Economy Guide. Six precursors to a market crash. The first one, the, the one we watch the most, is the 10-year Treasury. This irreverent interest rate, which has been powering ahead like a freight train. And uh, last week it ended at 1.732%. This week it ended at 1.66%. It actually fell some. So it looks to me, my interpretation of this, is that there was an easing of the exchange rate. It's still high, significantly high. Uh, I'm still watching this very closely. Uh, I believe there, that the market has was exhausted itself and is resting a bit right now, as markets do. I mean, I was surprised that for so many weeks in a row this thing went up without reversing slightly. Now it's reversing. I consider that normal. and uh, uh, But still, uh, I would pull it off of the solid orange and put it back on flashing orange. Uh, it's, so it's, if it had risen more, I would have been solid orange. But it gets above uh, 2%, I then am putting in flashing red. Uh, and it gets 2.5%, I'm solid red. I'm, call, I'm calling the crash. 
Uh, those are kind of my things right now. Those can change, those, those uh, limits, but so be it. The second precursor that we watch is the high-yield bonds. Now, last week, uh, there's a valuation of this. What we watch, we're watching for a fall-off of the value of these high-yield yield bonds because when that happens, it is definitely a precursor to a market crash. It's, it's a very solid predictor. Um, last week, it was uh, 8.92 was the valuation. This week, it was uh, 8 point, or, you know, a week ago, it came up to 8.97, and it rose. It actually got a higher value. So that, that said, okay, well, the, the high-yield or junk bond market is feeling not as shaky. Uh, it's not as high as it has been, but um, the direction has changed significantly, and that falls in line with that falling 10-year also. So, again, not, not nothing, no precursor going off at this time. We're watching the U.S. dollar because we're, we're thinking that the U.S. dollar will fall, which will cause inflation to happen. But in reality, the U.S. dollar continues again to strengthen. This last week, um, the euro, for example, 1.179. Last uh, week before that, it was 1.190802. That's a, a significant change in exchange rate. It may not sound like it's you know, a little over a penny. You know, who cares? But... Uh, I care because I'm living over here. And uh, that's the lowest. I said that earlier. It's the lowest exchange rate in the last six months because I've been watching it every day. Uh, so it's the dollar strengthened against the euro. The dollar strengthened against the pound. The dollar strengthened against the yen. It went up against all currencies last week. The dollar is powering ahead. It's doing the opposite of our concern for a precursor. So again, not... A danger sign. Uh, we're looking for inflation to happen. We're, so the fourth precursor is the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and uh, it comes out once a month, and it's still below two percent. We'll wait for the March number to come out next month, and uh, we'll see what it is. It might be two percent, might be less, might be more. You know, who knows? Uh, in any case, uh, it's a ho hum as long as it's less than two percent. And uh, the fifth precursor is the Fed policy itself, and which is every time anyone in the Fed speaks, they speak unanimously for themselves, and they say there is no change in policy. So that is not it. The change in policy we're looking for is for them to raise interest rates. If they raise interest rates the last time they did it, the market crashed. So that's watch that policy. But they're playing a game, and everyone is playing it. And the sixth and last precursor is something that just comes out of the blue, we'll call it a bluebird, and uh, there are none, none last week. Uh, even the closing of the Suez Canal is not that big of an economic thing. It makes you worry about your supply chain if, this, if the uh, Suez Canal closes. It makes you grateful that the United States is energy independent now and it wasn't in the past, and all that oil came through the Suez Canal. So that is not good if you would need oil. So Europe, in the uh, if this lasts for another month, for example, Europe's going to really be hurting with the lack of oil deliveries. So, so, so be it, people. I, uh, that's it. I and I look forward to coming back and talking to you next week. Bye now. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to hit that subscription button. This is Tom Harvey.
I'm an investor and not a financial advisor. Nothing should be construed as advice or solicitation to make a trade in any market. And I disclaim any responsibility for any negative effect of decisions made by the listeners.